You're listening to The DAP Project. I am your co-host for this ride, Rhonda Elizabeth. And I am your co-host, Aaron Stallworth. Now this season, we've been talking about resilience, what it means to overcome setbacks and keep pushing towards your goals. The homies have shared stories that inspire us and really reignite our faith. Yes, indeed. And with all these great stories, we thought we should hear from an expert. Our guest today is Philip Reynolds, a mental and behavioral health professional. Y'all, he lifted our spirits all the way up with his expertise and he had jokes. So sit on your couch and get ready for this therapy. Welcome to the DAP Project. This is your co-host, Aaron Stallworth. And next to me is my co-host, Rhonda Henderson. Today, we are happy to welcome to the DAP Project, Mr. Philip Reynolds. Philip, welcome to the DAP Project. Please introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, my name is Philip Reynolds. Uh, I am a licensed therapist, uh, currently working as an executive director of an outpatient mental health clinic in uh, McLean, Virginia. And I've been in behavioral and mental health for uh, about 16 years. I don't like to add and count because they keep getting longer, which means I keep getting older. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I've worked with a number of populations in a a residential setting, uh, in traditional private practice, uh, in an outpatient setting, um, wilderness programs, all that. So I've seen the gamut of uh, mental health across the, the spectrum for years. Uh, what city do you call home and what is your earliest memory of that? Oh, uh, so I live in uh, Montgomery County. I'm in Germantown, uh, Maryland now. I grew up in uh, D.C. PG and PG County, uh, went to high school in PG County. My earliest memory of that, uh, uh, probably watching uncles do it, right? Like there is no okay, this is when I learned how to adapt kind of moment. It was just watching uncles do it. And it just became a way of interacting with, you know, brothers, <laughs> honestly, just, just doing that, right? It was, you know, you talk about code switching. There was never any code switching necessary. When I met a white guy, we shook hands firmly, like we're supposed to. When I met a, a brother, it's like, you know, you hit the dap, pat on the back, and, you know, that's how you move forward. Does it do anything for your confidence when you exchange dap? I think it's a deeper relationship, a deeper connection, a, a sameness, right? It's, um, you know, when you're not necessarily extending DAP, I had a, a white client that pointed it out to me. I never paid attention to it. And he was like, what's up with all you brothers? Why do you always do this? You know, you do this when you see each other from across the way. And I was I like, yeah, it's like, just, just, I see you, right? So then when you give the DAP, it's like, okay, I, I, I see you, right? It's, it's a way of, of visibility, like that, that connection. So even in a professional setting, if we go around the room and we all give handshakes, you get that moment to the side. All right, but like, like, I see you, like, I know that we have a, a shared kind of existence in, in some reality, like I see you. And if it goes down, you know who's in your corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got me, I got you. <laughs> right. And who's not. So if you throw him the head knot and he's still facing you, yeah. you know that, you know, if he if everybody starts running, you don't yeah. care about whether he's running. He's on his own. Right. But <laughs> the head knot lets you know 
okay, I got you. We're in this space. Has there been a memorable dap that you've exchanged maybe after a moment that was really, uh, that made you really proud or one that stands out to you because of who you exchanged it with? Mm, that's a great question. I gave that to Bill Clinton one time. That was interesting. What? That was an interesting handshake. Um, yeah. One that stood out to me. Um, Did it feel authentic though? Uh, right. Yeah, Bill might be black, like, <laughs> low, like, like low key. <laughs> um, I think probably one of the most memorable moments with that was, you know, seeing Michelle and Barack have their own exchange you know, and it was like, yo, that yeah. like, that's it. But it's on a national, international level. Like, like, that's it. And it and it yeah. wasn't like I was a part of that exchange, but I was a part of that. Like, I knew what that meant in a way that, you know, there's a whole segment of culture and society that had no clue or thought that was odd or it was a terrorist fist bump or whatever. Like, like, I'm, I'm in there. Like, I'm in there with them. Like, I'm in that moment just through watching that. I th I'd say that was a memorable kind of watching that go down. Not even my own death, just watching that go down. Do you think it does anything for the spirit as a person who studies mental health and spiritual health? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, again, it's that being seen, right? Like, you know, you come in for a therapy session, African-American and African-American, you do your first handshake and, you know, the normal kind of handshake. But then after you had a session at the end of it, just to get at that, just that, that greeting is like, okay, like we're in there, right? There's a family that exists in, in this movement, in this transaction. And so I think it's me meaningful um, in, in, in that sense. I think it's just a connection, right? Like, uh, taking my son to a barber for the first time and you know that that relationship between <laughs> a, a barber man like that's important like you know oh I can cut your hair no you can't I got one barber we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but taking my son to the barber so going back to memorable experience it was teaching him how to tap up the barber right to to be able to say you know you all right over there you got things Yo, you okay Rhonda yeah <laughs> when you call anybody <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> One of my paintings may not get there with me, but we're good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how okay. that happens. <laughs> and so, you know, teaching him to, to give dap to the barber afterwards, right? Like you, you pay him and then you dap him up like that level of appreciation, right? He just got you fresh so you don't get roasted at school tomorrow. Like, you're gonna, <laughs> and, and, so, and so now like even watching that happen, after the haircut and I'm not like leading it and it's happening. It's like, man, like, like that feels good. Like my son, like is, is able to make this connection with this like centrally important piece of, of self-care that happens in the black community, the haircut, the fresh fade. Right. Like, I think it, I think it does something on a deeper level. Like it's just a, a good, a good feeling. Right. Yeah. yeah, I love that because what you're saying is that your son has manners and he's yeah. learning how to build relationships and show appreciation to someone who is taking care of him in a really, really important way. Yeah, absolutely. We've been talking about resilience and the way we think about resilience is having a hope, a setback and a recovery. What's accurate about that definition and what's missing? 
of course I had to think about how I would define resilience kind of kind of when we spoke. I think it's the the process of help finding like healthy ways to adapt and cope with adversity and stress, right? And so it's it's that thing that you can do right after you've been in a challenging situation so that some of the impact of that doesn't set in on you, but it's also something that you can do if you've already been in a challenging situation, you try to kind of hide or avoid it, and now you're dealing with some significant issues. It's the thing that you can do to move beyond being in that place. It's really, you know, healthy ways to adapt and cope with adversity. Yeah, that, that kind of speaks to what we've been hearing in each conversation. Uh, we've been asking guests how they develop resilience, and some said they witnessed their parents push through obstacles, or others have said they endured trials early in life, and their elders said to just keep going. And uh, still others said that having a purpose and a clear why helped them to rebound through trials. Um, what, what are some specific ways as you believe uh, we develop resilience? Um, people have it in, in different doses naturally and organically. Um, and I wanna, I wanna challenge the idea of kind of watching parents just push forward, right? Because I think a key component of that definition is finding healthy ways to adapt and cope, right? There were plenty of marriages a couple of generations back where they were able to maintain that marriage in the face of all type of toxicity and, and lack of health. And so then I'm going to get married and I'm just going to stick it out because that's what I saw my parents do. Right. Mm -hmm. well, well, that's not necessarily healthy. Right. And so I think we can pick up some things that we might inappropriately call resilience from watching other people kind of you know, put their helmet on and like just power through, it's not really resiliency, right? It's, it's really pushing stuff into the subconscious or not dealing with stuff. And then it comes out in other unhealthy kind of behaviors and patterns that are maladaptive and so on and so forth. So I really think kind of healthy resiliency, it's, it's something that we have to have to learn what that looks like, right? And so um, I think, it's 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 through experience okay so when i'm dealing with something that's stressful maybe i'll go to the gym and work out that's something that helps me de-stress that's something where i can realize if i haven't been to the gym in in two weeks my stress levels are more on edge than i might normally be right um you know it is you know, I'm going to cook my particular favorite meal, or I'm going to treat myself to X, Y, Z because of the things that I'm dealing with. I'm going to get my nails done or hit the barbershop or whatever. And maybe when I go to the barbershop, I'm going to hang out extra long, right? And maybe we're just going to talk trash about, you know, LeBron and who's the goat and all that other stuff. Or, or maybe like we're going to get into a serious conversation because I'm going to say, yo, my girl's tripping this way. And we're going to get all that feedback. And so I think it's finding healthy ways. And I think we have we have different degrees of that. There's some people that are more resilient than other. There's some people that when something troubling happens, they find it really hard to bounce back or find a healthy outlet. Right. You know, if it's just adapting and coping with adversity and stress without the health, then I can go drink because that's the way that I can adapt and cope. Well, is that is that resiliency? Right. That seems like a maladaptive behavior that you can call resilient because you've been able to 
drink for, you know, 20 years whenever you're dealing with stress, but are you really adapting and coping if you're just sublimating the, 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 the feelings that are inside of you? How does one develop those positive behaviors to adapt in a healthy way? Like, how do you trigger yourself to say, I'm not going to drink, I'm actually going to pick up a mm -hmm. healthy habit, if you ha especially if you haven't seen it modeled? Okay. I think that's the challenging part is that it's something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to do a better job of, of teaching in our, in our communities um, so that people understand what that is. I think there's you know more movement and traction now around mental health. I think we're, we're learning that, right? So if I look at the different kind of cultures that I deal with, and when if I'm in Bethesda, Maryland, and I'm dealing with affluent um, you know, white families, right? coming to therapy is just a thing that they do. Like it's something that they know, right? That's something that they've learned at some point in time. In African-American families, it's always this square peg round hole, like how did I get here? But I think learning that you know, therapy is okay. Like it's a useful resource. And so I think it's something that has to be taught. That challenge goes to parents oftentimes to be able to recognize, hey, I know that I grew up in a home that might not have been healthy. I want something different. Right. So what does that different look like? What is better? Right. So so how can I develop those relationships and have those things? How can I remove toxic things from my environment? And so I think it's it's something that we learn over over time and, and the narratives, right, that we we tell and the, the stories that are passed down about, yeah, I grew up in a household that was like this, but you know, I got into therapy. Or I grew up in a household that was like this and I got closer into my faith. Or, you know, I grew up in a household like this and I decided I wanted to go to college to be able to better myself and have access to, to different types of jobs so I didn't have to struggle in some of these same ways and make some of these decisions. And so I think it's a learning process and, and how we tell the story of what it means to really be resilient, how we define that, right? So if folks come in and listen to this conversation, we can think, okay, resiliency, adapting, coping with the diversity, adversity and stress, Okay, but that keyword healthy. All right, well, well, is what I'm doing healthy, right? So hopefully folks will be educated that that healthy has to be a part of how you adapt. So practicing resilience may seem like a, a solitary activity where a person is experiencing the setback, they've um, have to adapt to a challenge and regroup. But let's look at it differently and use boxing as a, as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. So if Muhammad Ali was in the ring, he takes some hits, he goes back to his corner, he listens to his coach, he gets patched up by the cut man, and then he goes back into it. Mm -hmm. Can this be a healthy model for exercising resilience with people who help you to get back together? Yeah, I think people seeing you and being seen by people close to you, part of resiliency is the ability to be vulnerable, right? So that other people can see that you might be struggling with something and, and encouraging you in that. Um, you know, when we talk about uh, when I'm doing couples therapy and talking about a couple relationship, I often use the analogy like, yo, I got to go out and fight the world. When I come home, 
I need you to be my cut man to help me get ready to go back out and 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 fight, right? I don't need for us to be at each other's throat operating in toxic ways because now I'm here, I'm there, and now I'm gonna get lost in the mix because I don't have a place of peace. And I don't have that opportunity to figure out even how to cope and adapt with this because I'm just getting hit on all sides, right? So I think that boxing analogy is a great one. And if you have people in your corner, literally, that are able to see and say, hey, maybe you need to take some time for yourself. You know what? Why don't we go, you know, watch the game? Why don't you come over? Why don't we chill out, watch the game? You look like you just need to kind of get away. Having those people in your life is, is important. And, you know, again, they have to be healthy people that are going to push and encourage you towards that. But one of the challenges is that the pandemic really revealed that for a lot of men, we don't have the depth of relationships with other men that we thought we did, right? So when the pandemic hit and we couldn't just hit the bar with a buddy and watch the game and, and we were in the house and, well, you know, as men, we don't necessarily pick up the phone and chat on the phone too much. Maybe we send a couple of texts. You know, I think there was a, a great article in the Washington Post that was talking about the number of men that found themselves on the island because of the nature and the, and, the, and the surface nature of the relationships that it was built around doing things or being in each other's presence to really have a relationship. But once we weren't around each other, there wasn't a connection where we were going to talk and engage and really keep that. And so they ended up on these, on these islands dealing with their own stuff. So you have to have the people in your corner that you have that depth of relationship with, right? Do you have a brother that, that, that you can talk to about the deepest personal things that you would have that conversation with, right? You got to have guys like that in your corner. Okay. But you said vulnerability. That is, oh, that's a loaded mm -hmm. term. That means opening yeah. up. That means sharing your feelings. I feel like we might need a few words about how to do that. I mean, Tarana Burke and Brene Brown wrote a whole book about it, right? That, that is their superpower. Gabrielle Union said the same thing, that her vulnerability is her superpower. And some of us are like, okay, that's good for you, but mm -hmm. I've been vulnerable, didn't quite work out, so mm -hmm. I can't do that. Right. So can you talk a little bit through that so we can feel yeah, encouraged absolutely. to be vulnerable? Yeah, I think it's you have to do that with the right people, right? Or the right person. It doesn't have to be a whole lot of people. Somebody yeah, you like, like everybody. Right, <laughs> Five right. people, it's like, not everybody. wait a second. <laughs> right, um, the right person that can hold that and, and be a safe space for you to do that. And in a lot of instances, the only person that might do that for you might be a therapist, right? That's the benefit of therapy. That's some place where I can go and be vulnerable and have, you know, a high degree of confidence that they're not going to injure me in my vulnerability. They're not going to run and tell my business everywhere else. They're going to respond in a healthy way that's not toxic. That might be one of the places that you have. And so you can cultivate that in a relationship because that takes time, right? Even in a marriage, when a couple's dating and when they get married, they're not instantly vulnerable in the same way that they might be 10, 15, 20 years down the line where they feel safe and they've seen that they can share that. We, we could have been taught in relationships never be vulnerable, right? That's that's a lot of what, you know, young, young boys are taught, right? Don't cry, suck up your emotions, move forward. So it becomes this manhood trait, right? Yeah. To, to not show any of that. Well, that's, that's weakness, yeah. right? Because then if you get with a young lady who's 
more emotional than you are and she's trying to share this stuff you're not fit to be in a relationship with a woman if you can't manage your own emotions how can i be charged with caring for somebody else's if i'm not even in touch with mine and so it's figuring out the capacity of how to be able to do that and it's tough to do with another man that's been indoctrinated the same way you are right and so it's finding a space, finding a model, being able to to take the opportunity and, and have those conversations. Yeah, race and racism is so baked into our society and American culture. Uh, it seems like as black men, as black folks in general, we have to tap into our well of resilience every day <laughs> and we'd rather just say i need to rest or i want to feel soft i want to feel i don't want to have to tap into that i don't want to be strong i don't want to push through i don't want to call my therapist um right. because of how baked in <laughs> to society race and racism is right. where we do have talking- to yeah go ahead now i was talking to a a, a a caucasian woman uh just yesterday we were talking about race and I was explaining, you know, some of the perspectives, some of the things I run into. Um, and she said, you know, you've been so open about having this conversation and honest and vulnerable. And then she hit me with, I wish more black people would be open like this. And I was like, hold on, time out. <laughs> I'm out. Did you say, let's unpack that? Right, right. I was like, I'm out. I was like, you can't have the conversation you just had with me with everybody, because if we're talking about resiliency, right? There are people that are tired of having that conversation. And because of their experiences, it's best for them not to have the conversation because you might catch hands if you pursue the conversation. They're not in that space. Part of their self-care is not having that conversation and educating you right now. I need to take care of me because in dealing with this all of my life, because this is my skin color, this is the best way that I cannot get triggered and end up in a bad situation. I need to do this. And then there are others that are like, hey, what's good for me is to be able to have this conversation, to allow you to ask questions that you might not otherwise ask. Or Google or read a book because those are available, but they want to ask in person. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You might not be able to, 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 to ask those questions. So Let's have the conversation. And for me, that's healthy for me. I'm okay with that, right? We have a different conversation and I'm cool with that. But me and the other person, we might be set up differently. So if you run around trying to have the same chatty Cathiness with somebody else, it might not go your way, right? I love how you said we might be set up differently. Set up differently. <laughs> Girl, you fit in the mess around and find out. <laughs> Yeah, I listened to a DEI scholar and writer, Celeste Headley, who commented on why the Starbucks initiative was unsuccessful. And she said that what they were asking people to do in that moment wasn't the right moment. If you're just trying to get your latte, you don't want your barista to ask you. It was when they said have a mini conversation about race in the Starbucks line, right? Yes, this was Howard Schultz's great solution to racism. This is how he was going to solve racism by asking all of their baristas to let's just talk about it. Let's just have this conversation. And so to your point, Philip, um, not everybody is set up such that they want to have their Frappuccino 
and a dose of white fragility or right. a dose of uh, police politics and how do you conduct yourselves? Right. And so it was doomed to fail, she said, because structurally it just wasn't positioned in a way that was healthy for everybody. Like Howard Schultz assumed that people okay. would want to walk into that and say, oh yeah, this is a great moment. We could like literally talk about this over coffee. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us are like, that's the last thing I want to do. I have a train to catch. I'm about to go right. to an interview. I'm reading a book. I'm minding my own black business. Right. No, I don't want to explain this to you. And you might get a hot cup of coffee on you. And now I'm mad because I have to buy another cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and it cost me an extra $72. All right, look what you did. <laughs> I want to pose that resilience is required all the time. That sure. We want softness and we also need to have resilience just for the ups and downs mm -hmm. of life, whether we're in a pandemic or not, whether we are actively experiencing white supremacy or not. We need resilience on the basketball court. We need resilience when something goes wrong in our home or if we're trying to get a job and the interview falls through. Is that a healthy way to look at things that you need resilience just yeah, all the time? I think at all times, because you, you never know when you're going to be faced with um, adversity or distress. I mean, we don't know when, when we're going to be presented with that. It could be at work today. It could be an opportunity in traffic. It, I mean, it could be, you know, any number of things, right? So we don't know when we're going to face with it. So we're always on, on the radar for um, opportunities to be resilient. And if we're not actively trying to find healthy ways to do that, then we might end up passively ended up in unhealthy ways to, to do that. And a failure to be resilient could lead to more adversity and distress and a need for res resiliency, right? So we can exacerbate our circumstances such that we actually need more resiliency because of how toxic we might be, how we might be living our lives. And so, you know, um, and I'm if I'm counseling a, a young woman who's late 30s talking about, you know, why am I not married? What's going on? The, the, the relationships and everything else. And I was like, let's slow down. Let's look at the pattern of the relationship. Well, he's always like this and guys are always playing these games. And I'm like, you're the common denominator. You're the one that you <laughs> relationship. It's you. Every single time it's you. You pick them. You, you're in the relationship. Like, it's you. So maybe we have to stop looking at how they need to be fixed and what relationship and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we need to look at you and how you're managing your stuff and the healthy ways that you're coping and dealing with everything else. So you don't keep ending up in this same exact pattern of distress because yet another relationship fell. My clock is ticking and I want to get married and have babies. It's like, we have to look at you. You might be adding to this process. So you one of them straight talk therapists. Yeah, man. We don't got to... <laughs> Like people pay me money. Like we don't have time to waste your money to like beat around the bush. Let's get there. Let's do it. <laughs> so earlier you mentioned that um, in some communities, particularly in the black community, that therapy isn't as as common. It's becoming more common and more prevalent. That made me curious about your experiences as a black man in this space and how that can be welcoming to other black men like have you had situations where someone didn't know your um your identity or your race before 
they sat down and then they said, oh, I'm so glad that you're a black man. Now I feel like I can talk to you. Or how have you been able to leverage your identity to bring people into this healthy space? I think most of the time people are searching for it. So I've had a number of single mothers who who found me on psychology today and they found my picture and they were like, hey, I want an African-American man for my, my, my son who's dealing with X, Y, and Z. I think the, a lot of the couples work that I've done, it's like, hey, we need somebody like my husband is not going to come to therapy if it's some woman like we need it. And so I think they they're searching it out, but it's hard to find. It's a it's a rare um, commodity to be able to to find an African-American man that's 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 doing therapy. Um, and I think, you know, the reality is, especially in couples work, even an individual, the African-American men that have come in and been able to um, persist in, in coming to counseling have been able to successfully grow at a faster rate and a more stable rate than any other client base that I've had. They just don't come in and stay long enough most of the time because it's, it's hard to do that, right? It's hard to be in that space. Um, and so it's, it's working to find, and, um, if I don't pull punches with anybody else, I'm definitely not going to pull any punches with the brother. You're going to have to stand in this ring toe to toe. We're going to have to, you know, throw these mental hands back and forth because you need to hear it. But there's a respect that comes with that. Like, you're not going to baby me. You're not going to be afraid or intimidated. Sometimes they've been in my office and, you know, big six, eight dude wants to stand up and flare up and everything else. You're not going to be, you know, afraid of my size and my blood, all the stuff that I might do as a natural defense mechanism to throw somebody off. You're going to be able to sit in here with me. Right. It's mm -hmm. it's going back. It's that unspoken depth. You you see me. Right. And I, you're not afraid of me. So you can stand in this and you can challenge me. And I have a older man in his in his in his 60s now been coming for individual therapy. And he's like, I appreciate that. I don't have to pretend to be somebody else. Right. That you see me, you know who I am. You're not afraid to challenge me. You're not tiptoeing around things. That's what I needed. And I think that's why therapy has been so successful for me. And so I think that that's an important commodity when it shows up in the room and you have, you know, brothers that are ready to go and have that conversation. And, and I think that's why that's why it works. That's why it has a success it has when they're able to stand in there and do that work. So if there are two things or three things that you would tell our listeners, particularly our audience of Black men, ways that they today can begin to develop healthy resilience. What are those things that they should start doing right now? Examine themselves. Identify the parts of themselves that they know are unhealthy, that they know are toxic, that they know are broken, that they know are problematic. They exist. You see them. You know what they are. You feel them. You can look back at your past relationships and, and see how they manifested themselves. And then number two would be figure out if you want to do something different, right? Change is possible if you're willing to do something different. And there's a lot of people that pay lip service and say, oh, I want to do something different. I want to do something different, but you're doing the same exact things, right? So if you want to do something different, you actually have to change something, right? So once you've looked back and you've determined your traits, then make the determination, do I actually want to change it? Do I want to put the hard work in? Do I want to commit to it? Do I want to invest in it? Right. And then it's going to be taking the steps to make some healthy decisions. What does that mean? Maybe for some people, it's, it's as basic as maybe changing your diet. Maybe it's exercising. Maybe it's reading some good books. Right. Talking to a therapist, 
finding or identifying a friend or someone that you can start the process of being vulnerable with, get more connected with your faith or a faith community, right? Come up with a list of healthy things that you can pursue that are really going to be able to affect change. And then I think four is commit to sticking with it, right? You, you, you got to, it's going to be hard. You're going to be uncovering and touching stuff that you haven't wanted to look at or have just ignored or just like it's it's going to be just not going to be easy. Right. If it was easy, yeah. everybody would be doing it. Right. How many people come to you thinking you're going to be a magical hypnotist and just fix it <laughs> versus yeah. knowing that they need to stick to it and work to yeah. for, I think that's for, part of time it. into it? Right. I think that's part of it. Like, you know, in, in a therapy session, I love it when I ask folks a question and they're like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, the reality is that you are the only one in this room that does know. But we have to go through the process to figure out what's inside of you so we can talk about it so you do know, right? And my superpower, any therapist's superpower is listening. That's it. That's what we do. We listen. We sit and we listen and we hear and we process, right? And so if you think of, actively think of the number of people in your life in a given day that genuinely sit and their main aim is to listen to you, not respond with answers, not try to fix it, is to listen to you, to draw out what's inside of you, to process that with you, that's rare. That's what therapy is. <laughs> If you're gonna go looking for a therapist, identify three therapists, interview all three of them. Tell them what your issue are, see what they're good at, see what they're skilled at, see if you know the stuff they put about the, the modalities that they do and everything else is accurate, test them out. It's, it's gotta be a vibe, right? It's a relationship yeah. like anything else, right? It's a one-way intimate relationship, <laughs> right? Your goal is to be as vulnerable as humanly possible and have them be able to hold that and guide you without getting too close and crossing any lines, right? So you have to be, if you're going to get vulnerable like that, you have to be comfortable with the relationship and the person. Everybody's therapist isn't good for you. Just because I might be a good therapist for somebody, I might be a terrible therapist for somebody else, but you have to find your fit. And if it's not mm -hmm. vibing, you just tell them, yo, it's not a vibe. <laughs> yeah, so if you got a, you got a mic over there, you can drop I like, like what you just said. <laughs> you <laughs> like, oh, it's a vibe. And if we ain't vibing, you know, vibe with somebody else. You can fire your therapist. It's not a vibe. That's <laughs> one sentence. It's not a vibe. <laughs> right. And, and, and I want to challenge that it would be ideal for everyone if they could find an African-American therapist that they were able to connect with and do this work with, and it was a great fit. Even if you can't, therapy is still valuable. And maybe there's a cultural context that's gonna be absent, but still go in and do the work. Get started in the process, right? And, and, and you can keep looking for a therapist and you can find somebody that might be a better fit, but don't fail to do the work on your car because you can't find the perfect mechanic. If you take six hours to change my wiper blades, they're still getting changed. And if I can't change them, that's valuable to me. Now, granted, I'd love to find somebody else that could do it in, you know, 10 minutes. But until I do that, let me do the work on my car with who I have available to me. Right. So that can't be an excuse. And it often is an excuse. I can't find somebody to look like me. I would love if there were enough. African-Americans and social work 
and counseling to be able to serve everybody in the African-American community. That ain't it. I went to grad school. I was the only African-American in my class and I was the only male in my class. That was an interesting situation. <laughs> you were just diversity all together. Just... Right, right, right. And I'm having the same conversations. You, you can ask me about race all you want to. I'm cool with it. Don't do this with everybody. <laughs> and, 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 and so we don't exist in a broad enough capacity. I'd encourage more to get into the field, into the helping professions. I've seen the younger generations, more African-Americans getting into this profession, which I think is awesome. It's also not going to pay you like a lawyer um, unless you can figure out how to get there through private practice. There's always a way to figure out how to make money in anything you do, even if it's, you know, paper mache, right? But you got to have, you got to have a mind and a hustle for that. But I think it's, I think it's such a valuable thing. So even if you can't find an African-American brother or sister to come alongside of you in this journey, take the car to the mechanic anyway. So we're over here laughing because we are a joyful people at our core. We are joyful people. And um, somebody told me the other day that Black folks are just joyful. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that because through the resilience process, part of the coping and the healthy adaptation, I think is laughing and being able to identify those joyful moments. So I'm curious to hear a little bit from your perspective about how joy factors into perseverance and being able to get through these struggle, these struggling situations in a healthy way. I think laughter is great, man. I think I think people spend too much time watching, I don't know, high drama and, and violence and all that other stuff. Any of the shows you you pick it, you name it, not enough time watching comedy and just laughing. Like a hearty laughter, right? One of them joints where you crack your head back, your mouth's open, you got tears coming out your eyes. I think I think humor is is tremendous. I think I think joy is commodity. And, and sometimes it takes work to get there because sometimes life has dealt you a, a bad hand and it's, and it's difficult to deal with. I mean, all the traumas I worked with adolescent sex offenders for about three and a half years and, you know, 97% of them were sexually abused growing up. And then when they hit puberty, they started acting out. You know, that's a tough situation. That's a challenging something to deal with. But I think it's a, it, oftentimes it's a fight for joy, right? If joy doesn't just come easy to me, then I'll just be miserable. I'll just wallow in it over here. And sometimes it's a fight for joy, right? How am I going to see the beauty in all that um, I've dealt with, all that I've been in, all that I've experienced? There are people that have been through some of the worst tragedies on the planet, but they still have joy. Like there's a, there's a reason for that. There's a, there's a resiliency that helped them get there, but there's a fight for joy. I can sit back and look at all the problems that happened in my day. Or I can sit back and look at all the blessings, right? You know, not just sitting there and wallowing in and the problems that, that exist for us, but fighting for joy. One of my favorite reminders of joy is music, uh, whether it be mm -hmm. some good uh, old school hip hop or some yep. old R&B, some Luther, some good yeah. jazz. <laughs> Did you say yeah. some L-U-T-H-A? <laughs> Yeah, L-U-F-A, I'm, I'm sorry. Lufa. Lufa. <laughs> That's when you keep going down 95, when Luther becomes Luther becomes Luther. <laughs> well, Philip, tell us uh, what, what music brings you joy. Uh, we love talking about music on the Depth Project. Oh, man. I mean, I could find it in, in 
and man, in everything, man. Um, I could get lost. I could get lost in, in in battle rap for hours, right? Really, the art, the art of being able to put the words together in such a way and, and structure the artwork that it takes to be able to, to do that is, is magnificent. For me, what I listen to most of the time is Christian hip hop, right? Most of hip hop doesn't speak to my lifestyle, right? I'm not, I'm not running around shooting people, dealing drugs, being with a bunch of women. And, and it was like, what if I could find this same thing that's redeemed in Christ? And, and finding some some amazing artists to listen to that are bumping stuff that's enriching for my soul, that's building up for the community, building up for women that are pointing me to Christ, that I could keep on in the car with my kids, that I don't have to turn off because they're around and we can vibe to it together. They're singing the songs with me. Like that, that's really, you know, where, where my space is, listening to my, you know, Christian hip hop and just rocking out, man, and, and hitting you with something new and you're sitting here listening to it and you're like, Yo, he's talking about how to love your wife better. Where do you hear that? Like, where do you hear like mm-hmm. strategies on loving your wife better in the music you're listening to? That right? don't involve the bedroom. Right, right, exactly. Instead of, you know, yeah. buy that whole new car. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> First of all, I'm not buying a new car. Second of all, my wife's not a hoe. I don't know how to do this. But... <laughs> <laughs> so first, she's not a hoe. Right, Second, right. she's not getting a new car. Right, so, so we don't need to do that. You got another message for me? <laughs> right. Like, so, what else you got? <laughs> I'm looking forward to putting together the uh, the DAP project along with Rhonda. The DAP project playlist for Thanksgiving. <laughs> he's about to do it himself i'll I'll let you last year i'll let you give a little input (laughs) i need you to make an appointment yeah i got you you're already on the calendar for next week thank you (laughs) so we got a holiday playlist coming up for thanksgiving well what song from uh from the genre you just mentioned should we add to that playlist if it was just one that's like People will love uh, it. It depends. It depends on what you want to want to want to do with the holiday, right? Um, yeah. Let's see. Lecrae's a great artist. He has a, a new song. Uh, Hold up, wait. Spell like black people spell it. H O L U P W A I T. Hold up, wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a artist called KB. Uh, Worship in a mosh pit. That's hype. That's a great workout. You know, people think, oh, Christian hip hop, those are the dudes that come to church and sound corny on the mic. Nah, man, there's dudes that bar for bar can hold a candle to any rapper that's out there, beat for beat. I mean, you know, non corny stuff that's positive. And like I said, it fits with my life. Yeah, Yeah. those are facts. I appreciate the authenticity. You're like, I'm not a studio gangster. Like, this isn't speaking to me. (laughs) I'm not enjoying this voyeuristic experience. I I still still enjoy the art, man, listening to Biggie and him tell a story. Listening mm-hmm. to Tupac, um, just listening to, you know, T.I., you know, one of his earlier albums that came out, Paper Trail, and what he put into that, coming out of being in federal prison for a year, right? The art of hip-hop is amazing. Putting the words together, painting the pictures that they're able to paint with that, like, it's it's profound. And a lot of people will dismiss it because of the profanity and content. And if you can get past that and look at the mm-hmm. art that's being created, it's magnificent, man. Yeah, we love it. Absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I ended the podcast without explicitly saying, you know, my my faith is what keeps me where I am and and undergirds the work I do. I don't necessarily do Christian counseling with folks that everybody that comes in, only those that you know want to go that route. But it, it's a part of me. It's a part of how I how I communicate and and care for my clients. Um, it's what makes me who I am. 
Well, we really appreciate it. Thank you for the inspiration, the different ways of thinking about resilience, as well as the things that people can go home and do right now to help themselves get, get healthier so we can uh, get free together, as Mr. Yeah. David Johns likes to say. Right. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Thank you for adding the DAP project to your, your very busy schedule. Certainly appreciate it. It has been wonderful. Where can folks find you on the socials? I am on Twitter, Mr. Underscore Reynolds 81. You can catch me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Always happy to chop it up there. It's the same thing for Instagram. Um, you know, but I'm always happy to talk, connect, and and and, and network with, with folks. What's um, the best website for people to check you out or uh www yeah, www.copiouslife.com. That's that's my website um, for counseling. I'm full as a tick right now. I mean, people are coming out the woodwork <laughs> with problems. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, full as a tick is pretty full. <laughs> that means yeah, yeah, pretty pretty full. I'll help find um, a, a good fit, a good therapist um, as as well. Thank you, TDP Tribe, for listening to our interview with Philip Reynolds. We hope you heard a good word for your mental health. Remember to do this in community and have healthy ways to cope with challenges. Remember, the brother said healthy yes, ways on the healthy to cope with challenges. Yeah. I'm glad we now live in a world that is beginning to appreciate the value of therapy and keeping our mental health in check specifically for black men. We strong like our counterparts, but holding everything together is a habit worth breaking. Amen to that. For more fascinating soul searching conversations, subscribe to the DAP project on Apple podcasts. Would you sign up for our weekly newsletter with more goodies at thedapproject.com? We send a little Sunday morning love to your inbox and sometimes there's bonus content. Finally, we're on the gram with everybody else at the.dap.project. And in the midst of all of this fuckery, remember that resistance is a highway with many lanes. Trust the process. You will find yours. I will find mine. Everybody will find their lane. Take care, folks. <laughs>